Uh, so great to be with you today and to have another opportunity to worship the Lord together. Uh, today we're starting a brand new sermon series uh, to kick off 2020 uh, that we're calling Habits of Grace. Uh, Habits of Grace. Uh, you know, one of my, one of my prayers uh, for this gathering uh, moving forward is, is pretty simple. You know, we're, we're two gatherings uh, right now, sort of officially anyway, and, and we're going to be becoming one gathering. And, and one of my prayers uh, in this season has, has been this, that I, I've been praying for us to be in a place of health, for us to be in a place of spiritual health. Uh, and what I mean by that is that uh, when people come to this gathering, whether they're visitors or you know, family members, when they come to this gathering, when people get to your life, uh, I want them to see people who, who truly love the Lord. I want them to see people who uh, live a surrendered and, and sacrificial life. That they would see people who live for the message of the gospel because of what they know to be true about the gospel. But of course, uh, if, if we want to be a healthy community or a healthy gathering, uh, that requires healthy individuals. And to be healthy individuals, what we see in the scriptures is that God has given us uh, what we're going to be calling these, these habits of grace, these gospel habits, or maybe you've heard them uh, called spiritual disciplines to help us be a transformed people. And so that's where we're going to be heading uh, over the course of the next uh, three weeks together. And before I, I jump into the into the series, though, uh, I want to say this as well, that at first glance, I think uh, even when you look at this uh, series title, like Habits of, of Grace, uh, it could lead to a, a bit of misunderstanding or perhaps even a little bit of confusion because the two main words right, in, that, in that title uh, seem contradictory. In some ways, they are, I guess. Uh, because what are habits? What are habits? Well, habits are, are things that take work. Uh, habits are things that take effort. Habits are uh, discipline. But grace, okay, grace, particularly grace from God, um, grace is unearned favor, right? Grace is a gift. Grace is, is free. And so how does this all work? Well, uh, the Bible puts them together, actually. And what we see is that uh, they actually not only work together, but the two actually complement each other uh, really well. That could be a whole other sermon series going through uh, Paul and James. But they, they complement each other. Uh, the Apostle Paul, in fact, he, he wrote this in Philippians uh, chapter 2. He says, um, work, that's, that's habit, okay, that's habit, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, that's grace, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. You see, um, certainly here in this, in this gathering, we believe in grace. We believe in the grace of God. We believe that grace saves us, that there is nothing that you can do to earn your salvation or earn God's grace. But we also believe, don't miss this, we also believe that grace isn't something that just justifies you, but also that grace is something that sanctifies you as well, that God's grace actually changes us. And that 
that change, though, it does not happen without any effort. And so what we read here from Paul is that God's grace actually supplies our effort to work out our salvation. And so again, just to, just to be clear as we're kind of starting off the next three weeks, just because we believe in grace does not mean that we do not engage in habits that are rooted in grace. I'll, I'll say that one more time. Just because we believe in the grace of God, that we do not salvation, there's nothing that we could do to deserve this salvation, does not mean that we do not engage in habits that are rooted in grace. That yes, grace, certainly, it is opposed to earning our salvation. But it is not opposed to our effort in becoming more like Jesus Christ. And that's what these gospel habits that we're going to be talking about, that's exactly what they do. We're going to see that God actually uses habits of grace to us become more like his son. That he actually uses habits of grace to help us to, to glorify him and to enjoy him. So that being said, uh, today we're going to jump into our, our first uh, habit, if you will, that leads to a transformed life, and that's being in God's word. Being in God's word. That's where we're heading today. You know, um, words, words are a really interesting thing. Uh, I did some, some research this week uh, on this idea of words, and it was, it was really fascinating. Um, I probably went on too far of a rabbit trail, to be honest. Um, but what I did is I, I did some research on words and statistics on words, and then took from as many reliable websites as I knew, right? not like a Wikipedia page or something, and then tried to kind of combine all of it to, to make a general average. And so I'm not saying what I'm, what I'm saying is exact here, but it's a roughly, okay? But research, and this comes from Duke University, research indicates that the average person hears roughly 30,000 words from other people every day. 30,000 words. Um, for those of you who think more in terms of papers, like you go back to university or whatever, that's roughly a 100-page a paper. And so every single day, you're, you're hearing word, the words. You're hearing all these words. And that would sort out to about a 100-page paper. You're hearing those words, that many words every single day. And then on top of that, on top of that, last year, 2019, the average person is exposed to roughly 5,000 ads per day. 5,000 advertisements. Four and a half hours of music. We know that to be probably more in Seoul. You can't go anywhere without hearing music on the streets. Right? Every store has a new you know, pop song or whatever. Uh, and get this. This is, this is, the, this is a big one. <laughs> this is crazy. And I did... You can Google this yourself and go to all these, all these sites. They all come out about the same. Between Netflix, Hulu, other TV, movies, social media, YouTube, you compile all that together. The average person in 2019 consumed between 11 and 12 hours of media a day. 11 to 12 hours of media today, every day. And the way that they came up with that statistic would be like, say I have my iPad out and my phone at the same time, right? That counts double because I'm consuming double media, right? 11 to 12 hours a day of media 
It's unreal, right? Um, some of you are like, no, I get that because I do that every day and more, right? But my point in bringing that up is that there is more out there speaking into our lives than ever before. We, we've never heard and been surrounded by more words. And let's, let's be honest. Uh, most of what's out there is uh, just wrong at worst <laughs> uh, and, and distracting at, at best. And, and this wouldn't really be, be a problem for us, except for the fact and the reality that we that words have a profound shaping influence on us as human beings. That words have a tendency to wedge themselves into our hearts and minds and get stuck on repeat, and, and, and sometimes in, in very good, constructive ways. But many times in very destructive ways. And even today, uh, those of us you know, sitting here in this room, I'm sure a good number of us here, we could list off examples, list off ways and times that people have hurt you with their words or impacted you maybe in a positive way with their words, right? Words are, are lasting. They, 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 they travel with us. They go with us. They have meaning. Uh, words have power. And that includes our own words as well. Uh, We all have that inner voice that speaks to us every day, all day, from the moment that your alarm goes off in the morning, saying all sorts of things, both positive and negative, truthful and and untruthful. And so the point, before we even start today, is that we have to understand that we are literally swimming in an ocean of words. And these words, they're not neutral. They're not neutral. They're not just meaningless Words shape how we perceive reality. They shape what we believe. They shape how we see the world, how we see ourselves, how we see others. Words shape and form us even when we don't realize it. And so what we're going to see the Bible actually teaching us is that because that is true, if we want to be people who who thrive, if we're going to be people who, who, dare I say, fulfill our very purpose for being, if we are going to live transformed lives, then we need to be fortified and fed by the right words. We need unshakable words of truth, truth that gives shape and and meaning to our lives, words that tell us what is true about ourselves and why we are here and what life is about, words that Tell us where we can find meaning, where we can find purpose, where we can find joy. And so where do we find these words then? Where do we find these words? Is it even possible to find those types of words? Well, certainly, I think the vast majority of us here know the answer to that. We find these words in God's word. We find them in the Bible. So if you have the, that book in front of you, the Bible in front of you, I hope you do. Why don't you turn with me to Psalm 119. 119. Today we're going to look at God's words about his word. All right? Try to wrap your your mind around that. We're going to be talking about God's words about his word. If you've ever ever studied the Psalms, uh, you know that Psalm 119 is the longest of all the Psalms. And actually, it's the longest chapter in the entirety of the Bible. Uh, 
And, and the main purpose of Psalm 119, I think commentators are pretty unanimous about this, is that the purpose of Psalm 119 is to highlight the multidimensional glories of God's word. Right? So it's very fitting for, for our topic today. So you have that open. Look with me starting at verse 9. Uh, we're going to read together through verse 16, just what we did during the worship service. But we're talking about God's word today, so we're going to read it again. All right? We can't get enough of God's word, right? Um, the, the focus, though, I will say this, uh, is going to be all about verse 11. So you want to take note of that verse, okay? Look at what it says. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I Delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Amen. Well, in many ways, uh, this part of this psalm is, is helping us uh, to, to wrestle with what's at stake for our souls. You're going to see that here. Well, we see that most prominently in the, in the back half of verse 11. All right, what's the significance of the last half of that verse? Well, look at it again. The psalmist says, That I might not sin against you. It's sort of the focus here. This is really significant. Uh, when we read this, uh, we might have the tendency to think of individual acts of sin, like lying or, or gossip or cheating or envy. And surely the, the author, uh, is including that here. But actually, the context, it, it, it's, me, it's meant to be much broader than that. That actually, what we're dealing with is not just individual sins, but actually an entire way of life that away from God, which is, in fact, what sin does. Think about it this way. Hopefully, this will make it a little more clear. What does the Bible teach us about why we are here? Why do we exist? What is our purpose? If you've been here for any amount of time, this should just come off, right? We talk about it a lot. The scriptures teach us, and you can read this even in Isaiah chapter 43, I think it's verse 7, uh, that we are created for what purpose? To glorify God. And taking it in, in as holistically, the whole scriptures, we see not only are we created to glorify God, but we are created to enjoy him forever. And so what's, what's the opposite of that? Okay, what is the opposite of giving God glory in our lives? Well, it's, it's sin, right? It's sin. It's sinning with our lives. That if we're not giving God glory with our lives, then turn around, we're actually sinning with our lives. You're doing one of the two things. There's really no in between. Sinning, it's living a life of self-centeredness that prefers ourselves and other things to God. And so I think it's, it's right to say that when we are sinning, we are sinning against God. We are not fulfilling the purpose for which we are created. We are, in fact, do, doing the opposite. That's what's at stake here in this verse. Right? Are you tracking with me? 
And so when the author, when the psalmist says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. It's the exact same thing, actually, as him saying this, that I have stored up your word in my heart so that I might glorify you and enjoy you forever. See that? They're one and the same. So to fulfill our purpose for being, giving God glory, getting joy, if we want to be transformed, what God is saying here to us is that we need increasingly avoid the path of sin that leads us away from the living God and instead follow his path and his ways by doing what? What do we need to do? Well, it's our first habit of grace. He says this, that we need to store up God's word in our hearts. This, this, this truth here This transformational truth. This needs to be our aim as a gathering. It needs to be the direction that we're all going in together. That we would be people who are defined and known as being devoted to storing up God's word in our hearts. That we would be literally saturated with the the truth of God and his gospel. And to understand what... what more that means or how that's sort of fleshed out, I'm going to sort of break this down into three leading questions that come out of verse 11. Okay? So if you want to go God's ways, if you want to be transformed, there's sort of three leading questions that come out of Psalm 119, verse 11. The first one is this. What do we need? First question, what do we need? I've made this very obvious for all of you, right? The... The key phrase there is in gold, right? It's bold and gold, right? Easy for you to get. That's your answer. What do we need? Well, he says it right there. To fulfill our purpose and go God's ways, to be transformed, what do we need? Your word. Your word. And so, so what is that? What is your word? Actually, starting this evening, maybe throughout this week, I want to encourage you to read through the whole of Psalm 119. Um, And when you do that, notice the way that the psalmist refers, or how the psalmist refers to God's word in so many different ways. We can actually see of that, or a glimpse of that, in our main text uh, today, through verse 9 through 16. Right, he refers to God's word as the word, law, Testimony, statutes, ordinances, commandments. That's just in our short seven verses. And what we see is that all of them are are actually not specific, but they're actually broad words that describe or point to the same thing. It's the whole of all the scriptures. It's all of God's revelation to you and I. And certainly we know here that this is specifically referring to in this context, the Hebrew scriptures. He's talking about the Old Testament. That's what they had at that time. But, but for you and I here today, on this side of the cross, what this also includes, we know now, is, is the New Testament. And so when the psalmist says, your word here, it's referring to all of God's words found in the Bible. It's all 66 books, all 
1,189 chapters. All of it. The whole of it. That's his word. He's talking about God's personal revelation of who he is, what he is like, and how we can know him. He's referring to this, this word that tells us the truth about God, the truth about reality, the truth about ourselves and one another. He's talking about this book that is unlike any other. This word that reveals the way to salvation, the way to joy, the way to peace everlasting, where we're going, what's our destiny. Right? These are all things that we cannot know apart from God and his revelation. But that's exactly what he has given us, that God has chosen to give us through the scriptures. See, without the scriptures, we wouldn't know the truth about him, about his ways, about his character, where purpose is found, or how to be made right with him in Jesus. These words uh, cannot be understated. These words, the Bible, it's authoritative. It's sufficient. It's inerrant. It can be understood. And these words cannot be overturned. It's the most important word in our lives every single day amidst the ocean of words that we are swimming in and that are vying for your time and your affections. I know you know this, uh, but, but we can't trust everything that we watch on YouTube. Uh, everything that we read online or hear from politicians But the word of God is entirely, 100% true all of the time. In other places in Psalm 119, verse 89, it says, the word, it does not change. In verse 103, it says, it's sweet like honey. In verse 105, it says, it's a lamp unto my feet. In Psalm 119 verse 160, it says, it never wears out, never runs dry. Other places in scripture, it says about these words, it says that they are food to our soul. They are, it is a fire that purifies, a sword that penetrates, it's, it's milk that nourishes. Jesus himself said this, he says, we do not live on bread alone, but by what? The words that come from God. And so the Bible literally is God's bridge to truth while simultaneously being our life source. It's lasted across centuries, these words. It's crossed continents. And its truths are being shared even now throughout the nations for the glory of his name and the enjoyment of his people forever. And so let me ask you today, Do you truly understand what you hold there in your hands? How how could we ever be indifferent to these words? How could we ever be insensitive to the reality of what we have and what we've been given from the Lord? The words in the Bible... They should be the most important words and most precious treasure in, in your life. 
And that's why here in, the, in this gathering, I believe we always have been, but we always will be unapologetically and courageously committed, devoted to the entirety of the Bible. We will also be rooted in his word because it's the way that we can truly know him. We're going to be a gathering that is devoted to the word. It's been one of our values. It's going to continue to be one of our values. We need his word. The psalmist says what we need, if we're going to fulfill our purpose, we need his word. Number two, where do we need it? Where do we need it? Well, the psalmist says there, says, I've stored up your word, where? In my heart. In my heart. The psalmist here is highlighting where we need God's word. He says, we need it in us. In other words, we don't need the Bible like outside of us, right? It, it can't just sit in the pew. It can't just sit in your car or in your backpack or be hidden on your phone with other miscellaneous apps, right? He says it needs to be inside of you. It needs to be in your heart. Now, we know that the Bible, and particularly the the Old Testament, when it speaks about the heart, it's speaking about uh, the source of personhood. That's the best way I can put it. The source of personhood. Um, Today, it would be uh, similar to what we refer to as the soul. Okay? So a, a person in the ancient Near, uh, ancient Near East, uh, a Hebrew, they would hear heart the same way that someone today would hear soul. It's similar, but a little different, but that's the best comparison I think we have. And so the heart then, it's, it's the source of our thoughts. It's the source of our affections. It's a source of who we are. And he says here, we need to get God's word right there. That's where it needs to be. That if, that if we want to fulfill our purpose, glorifying God and finding joy in Jesus, it's not enough just to just have his words. We need more. That if we want our affections for him to grow, then we need to get God's word to the source of our affections. That if we want our character to more reflect, or to greater reflect the character of God, then we need to get God's word to the source of our character. That if we want our love for God to to blossom, then we need to get the reality of God's love for us in Jesus revealed to us in the word to the source of our love. Are you tracking Hey, listen, if you want your trust in Jesus to grow, your faith in Christ to be strengthened, to get rid of other false trusts in your life, God has given you and I a mighty weapon for that. We must press God's word into the source of our trust. And where is the source of our affections, our character, our love, our trust? It's in our heart. Our heart. When God's word lives in us like this, the psalmist says that it actually fortifies us against sin. 
and empowers our very reason for being. That's what's at stake here. It's that, it's that crucial. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 6, verse 45. Look at what he says. He says, The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. And the evil person, out of his evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Jesus is saying here what other places in the scriptures say. Same thing. That our lives flow from the heart. And so, it matters. It matters deeply, so deeply, which words and whose words are reigning supreme in our hearts. We need God's words in our heart. That's what the psalmist says. And then finally, we we ask this question then. um, Okay, so what do we need? Where does it need to go? And how do we get it there? How do we get it there? How do we get your word in my heart? (laughs) How do we do that? Well, he says it there. He says, by storing it up. By storing it up. He says, I have stored up your words in my heart that I might not sin against you. He's going to expand on that. We're going to get to this in a minute. The phrase here, stored up, is sometimes translated uh, treasure or hidden. I think that's a better English translation, actually, because of what it means today. Uh, And so by... Because by storing it up, right, he, he's certainly not talking about putting junk away in our attics or our garages or deep inside our closets, right? Like, we all have those things that are stored away that we need really bad, we can't get rid of, but we haven't touched in like a year, some of you two years, some of you three years. Some of you have like salad dressing from like 2014, all right? You're storing it away, Right? And so we can sort of think of things that are stored up as things that are sort of maybe specialized, but not like that significant or that important. Um, I, I said in the, in the early service, like I think of it like Christmas decorations that way. Like there's those things that come out, you know, they come out like for a short time. Uh, well, some of you, it's like two weeks. Others use it's like three months. All right, but um, you store those away because they have some significance, right? You go through the ornaments and they're special and whatever, but they're not like, they don't like reign ultimately supreme. They don't need to be displayed like forever, like the star on your tree doesn't go up on your mantle, right? Um, We tend to, I think as Westerners, think of storing things up in that way, or we could. But the storing or hiding here in this context uh, is is that this is what you would do in, in this in this day and age, that this is what you would do with your treasure, your greatest valuables, right? So in the ancient world, you, know, you have to remember this, right? They didn't have bank accounts, right, or, or safety deposit boxes. Right? And so what, what did they do with their treasure? Well, they would hide it, right? They would store it up somewhere. And so the hiding here is actually a treasuring. They are one and the same. To hide means to treasure. That's why the psalmist 
goes on to say in verse 14, he says this, in the way of your testimonies, again, that's word, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. It's that valuable. What he's literally saying here is the word of God that is being stored is a treasure. And because it is a treasure, he is choosing to store it up within himself. It works both ways. The word is a treasure, and because it is a treasure, it is being stored. And what the psalmist tells us is that this is the dynamic. It's the hinge to defeating sin in our lives. That's what he's saying here, that when God's word is put away in you, when it's stored in your heart, it is such a powerful means of grace against sin. And at the same time, then, will lead you to live a transformed life. We're going to extend this. It's the same question. We're just kind of furthering it because there's another question that comes with it, right? So some of you who are really deep thinkers, you're like, okay, so what do I need? All right, word. Where do I need to put it? Heart. All right. How do I do that? Store it up. And then some of you, you know, you're the person who's asking, well, how do I store it up? Right? Well, I'm going to answer you. <laughs> okay. How do you store it up? And thankfully, again, the psalmist actually, I, I, I believe he answers the question. How do we get this valuable word of God stored in our hearts? Well, look at verses 15 through 16. He says, I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. Four key phrases there. He says, I will meditate on the word. I will fix my eyes on the word. I will delight in the word. And I will not forget the word. That's what he says there. And so it's simple. Sort of modernize this. If you want God's word in your heart, what do you need to do? I'll give you the four things. You need to read it, you need to study it, you need to meditate on it, and you need to memorize it. I think that's essentially what he's saying, that when we approach God's word, those are really the disciplines that we practice when we approach God's word anyway. We just read it through, okay, like, we, like you would a book, right? Like, if you open up the book of James, uh, that, that letter, for example, it was meant to be read in one sitting, 22 minutes it'll take you, something like that. You can read through the whole thing. Right? That's two YouTube videos. You can do it. Read through the whole thing. Nothing. You all know. We all do the same thing. I'm only going to watch one, and then i got to go to bed. And then it just automatically, that, that thing goes, and then you click next really quick. And, oh, yeah, uh, just one more. It's only nine minutes and 48 seconds or whatever. We all do this, right? Uh, God's word. You can do this. Read the word. Study the word. Meditate on the word. Memorize the word. That's how we store it up in our hearts. And it's not that we do these things just for the sake of doing them. That would be a, a huge mistake and uh, such a poor interpretation of what the psalmist is saying. These are not, not at all, checklist items or, or obligations. The psalmist is You notice he's doing this by using the imagery and comparison of stockpiling riches. That's how he sees this habit. 
It's the same for me as stockpiling up riches for myself. So don't miss that here. That's his view. That's his perspective. And so if, if, we, see, if we see studying and meditating, memorizing this book as, as stockpiling riches, if, if every line, each truth becomes an actual treasure to you, right, I promise that, that, that the way that you approach his word, it's going to be totally different. It's going to be transformative. And the promise of this text, again, is that if we do this, so important that if we do this, we will be fortified against sinful acts, attitudes, and lies because, because God's very word will be at the source of who we are. And we will be transformed, we will glorify God, and we will find joy. And so this year, as we head into 2020, I want to simply invite you to work on and to cultivate this habit of grace. To work on storing up God's word in your heart. Now, uh, I know for some of you, uh, you're already there. Uh, You do this faithfully. Uh, You have been doing it. Some of you for many years. Uh, You read this book. Uh, you, you study this book. You love to study this book. You, you meditate on it. You, you work on memorizing chunks of these truths. And so I just want to encourage you huh, today just to keep going. Uh, keep going. Um, I'm cheering for you. Uh, reflect on the truths of the gospel even more. Pray through more scripture. Memorize larger chunks of the word, and know and believe that God will be faithful in revealing more of himself to you just as he always has. But for others of us here, and this might be a bigger chunk, I don't know, it's guesswork. Uh, You might be like, look, all right, you're telling me to read the Bible, right? There's a reason I haven't preached this sermon for like three and a half years, actually. Because, yeah, I get it, right? The pastor comes up. What are you supposed to do? Read your Bible. Read your Bible. There's a reason I haven't done it for three and a half years. And you might be here today and you say, oh, okay. Well, look, I, I get what you're saying, but I've tried reading this book. And I've, I've failed. Uh, I, I, I read it and um, nothing comes out of it. Or I read it for a few days and then, like, I get behind and that discourages me. And so ah, I'll get it next year. Some of you are perfectionists like me. And that's a real temptation. I missed day six. And so I cannot start until January 1st again because it just bothers me. Some of you are that way. I have to really fight that tendency in myself. But you would say... uh, like, I, I, I've tried, I've failed. Or, or some of you would say, look, like, yeah, maybe in this next coming season. Because right now, I'm just so busy. So much is going on. I, like, I try, like, but I have to get up early. I have to work, and then I come home, and I got all these other things to do. Um, like, dinners are priority for me. You know, whatever, of course, right? All these different things. And then, like, right before I go to bed, I give him as much as I can give him. Some of you are there. 
but let me ask you this. Actually, uh, a college professor, um, he asked our, our class uh, this question. It stuck with me, and so I'm sharing it with you today. He said, um, if I offered you, if I offered you $1,000 for every single day this year that you read God's word, uh, how many days would you read it? So 365 days in the year, you have the opportunity to make $365,000. Right? Every day you read it, I give you a cash, $1,000. How many days would you read it? We all know you'd read it almost every day, right? Some of you are like, yeah, uh, that's a great deal. I'm going to quit my job. And, uh, <laughs> and my job is going to be to read the Bible, right? That's going to be my job. Um, but his point was, right, and, and of course, like, there are flaws in every illustration, every question. I get that. But his point was that when it comes to these habits of grace, when it comes to these gospel habits, the problem is never about your time. It's, it always comes back to your motivation. That actually, that we don't think and believe that God's word is valuable on, on its own. But $1,000 is. If you're honest with yourself, and again, I'm checking myself here too, that you would see $1,000 that day as more valuable than God's word that day. That's the problem. It's our motivation We have to get ourselves to the place, though, like the psalmist says in Psalm 19, when he says that God's word is more desired than gold. It's even much fine gold, he says. He says it's sweeter than honey. That the the Bible is more precious than anything. That's what he's saying there. And why? Well, because nothing else has the authority to tell us who God is and what he has done. Nothing else tells us about the life of Jesus, the works of Jesus, and the glorious message of the gospel that gives us the opportunity to be in relationship with this Jesus. Nothing is more valuable than the word. But do we actually believe? If we do, then we will be people who are devoted to the word of God. We will truly treasure it. And that will lead us to to reading it, to, to studying it, to meditating on it, to memorizing it. There was a YouTube um, video that, that came out, I don't know what it was, a year ago, two years ago. I'm not sure how old it was. But it was, a, it was a box. It looked like a big like a UPS box. Maybe it's the Postal Service. I'm not sure. Big box. And it was delivered to, it looked like, we weren't sure, because for, for uh, security's sake, it was in China, in this home. There was a bunch of people around. And, and, and they're opening up this box. And they tear it open, and they look, and they open it. And there's probably in there, there's like 50 shrink-wrapped Bibles there in that box. 
And the, the room, you would have thought, like even more so, that they hit the lotto. It was incredible. They're, they're celebrating, they're, they're passing them out, like it's like, we've just like, hit the mother load. We've, we've done it. We're now rich. Like you, you couldn't believe their reaction. I'll try to find it and send it to you. You can't believe their reaction to God's word. How much value they put in God's word. How much they treasured God's word. So convicting. And so, so let me encourage you again. If you haven't already started this year, uh, make a plan. Make a plan. Uh, get yourself word. Uh, don't worry where other people are at. Right? Just be honest with yourself and, and go from there. Uh, if you haven't already downloaded uh, something like version, I think we have a slide, uh, Use version on your phone or your tablet, that's a very uh, helpful tool uh, to, uh, to point you to countless Bible uh, reading plans that you can even do with others, which I highly recommend. You can actually um, sort of, I guess, like, like Facebook or whatever, that you can become friends with people on version, and then sort of uh, there's a joint board, message board, that you can sort of comment back and forth and keep each other accountable. I, I highly recommend you do something like that. I'm actually, this is the first time, I've always used version, but this is the first time that I'm practicing that with, with two other pastors in this city. We're reading through the Chronological Bible together this year. Um, we just felt like we need to go back to that place. So the three of us are doing that together. I highly encourage you to do something like that. I can also uh, recommend to you something like the Bible Project. They have, they have really solid reading plans, uh, but also uh, really insightful, um, creative, uh, short videos that explain, like, literally every book of the Bible, almost so many sections of the Bible, uh, theological issues, biblical themes, different narratives. Uh, it's incredible. So many helpful materials are there. I can also, uh, when it comes to spiritual disciplines, I can also recommend a book to you. Uh, it's actually where I got the title from this, uh, for this sermon series. It's called Habits of Grace. Right? It's an excellent book by an author named David Mathis. Uh, he serves or served under uh, John Piper uh, at Beth, uh, Bethlehem Church. He wrote this book. Uh, excellent book that has a, a list of so many good things uh, about how do you approach God's word and different spiritual disciplines. So helpful and insightful. Uh, but anyway... Uh, these are just some, just some. Maybe you have your own. Some great tools to help you to get started on reading the Word this year. And then just in general, I, I want to say this as well when it comes to God's Word. Uh, let me encourage you that as you read the Scriptures, to keep the Gospel clear as you do. Keep the Scriptures about Jesus Okay, because the scriptures are about Jesus. Right, we have a tendency, I think, especially those of us who come from a more Western context. We're, very, we're much more individualistic. That lends itself to be more me-centered. And so when we read the Bible, we're looking for me, myself, and I in the text. What does it say to me, about me, how, what I should do, who I am? Right? That's the priority when I go into the text. Because the text is about me. Jesus loves me. That's the message of the Bible. Right? It's not. <laughs> okay? But we have a tendency to think that it does. Um, that is not untrue, but it's not the primary truth. Right? 
Even Jesus said this in John chapter 5, verse 39. We don't have it on the screen. You just listen. He said this. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness to me. He says, the scriptures that you read, that you read to find eternal life, you're looking for eternal life in there. But let me tell you what's in there. Me. I'm there. Right? I'm the Emmaus Road as well. Right at the end, he says that he's walking with those two. And he just worked through the... It looks like the context there, it looks like he's, he just works them through the entirety of the Old Testament. Says, yep, there's me, there's me. Yep, that was when I showed up. That's me there too. That's me. That pointed to me. That pointed to me. Uh, that would an awesome Bible study that would be. Right? Crash course uh, with Jesus. Uh, Old Testament in the, in the new. Incredible. Right? So what am I saying? Simple. The Bible from beginning to end. It is about Jesus. So find Christ in the scriptures. When you read the scriptures. And remember that, along with that, that as you read this book, that it's not just about knowing information, but about knowing a person. In many ways, this book is also a love story as well. And then once you've done that, then you can find yourself in the proper context. (laughs) Okay? And then once you've done that, then you can ask yourself, now what should I do? Why? Because your doing will always naturally flow out of your being. So as you read the Bible, a helpful tool is to ask yourself this. This is the way that I approach scriptures many, many times. I think we have this screen. This is many, many times how I very simply approach the scriptures. When it comes to like searching for sermon points, just reading for myself, I open up the text and I ask myself, these questions. First of all, what does this scripture say about God? Then I ask, what does this scripture say about people? That includes me, but people in general. From there, I say, okay, so then what does this scripture say that I should do? And I'm looking for key things, like what sins am I supposed to avoid? What promises am I supposed to keep? What examples should I suppose to follow? That's like parables, right? Or what commands should I obey? Right, this is just an example of how you can approach the scriptures. There's a lot of different ways that are out there. Um, this is just the one that's been helpful to me. Maybe it'll be helpful to you. And if, but again, if you have another method, a way that helps you read and study and meditate, awesome. That's great. Okay, maybe you use a devotional book or study Bible, or commentaries, that's wonderful. Okay, wonderful. The important part is that you are in the word, learning about God, and storing up his truth in your heart. That's what this is really about. Um, this book, it's, um, it's a life-changing It's transformative. And I I cannot even begin to tell you uh, how much, how much this book, this word, uh, has changed me and how much it's transformed uh, my life. 
Um, it was actually the, the Bible itself, um, th- these words themselves, that changed my life. Uh, I was 19 years old. Uh, so many of you here know the story, but I was 19 years old, uh, living on my own. Uh, I was in New York before that. Um, that's where my family was. Um, I was going through a really hard time, a really dark season in my life. Um, I had really struggled with anxiety and depression for a number of years since uh, elementary school. I was seeing, I can remember the first time being like nine years old, seeing like a psychologist and psychiatrist um, just about myself. Um, and so I was really, really struggling. Um, I struggled with school. It just didn't fit me. Like I, I did okay in school, but I, I don't know. It was the format. I, I'm not sure, to be honest. Um, but my parents, they did everything they could uh, to help me, uh, especially my dad. He's like, he's a fighter. Um, but I think in like three and a half years of high school, I went through like six different high schools. I was just in and out of all these different schools, just like trying to find my way. Um, and, when I, and when I turned 18, that was April. And uh, in New York, you, you graduate in June. And in April, I turned 18, and then I can make my own decisions. And so, even though I had a really high average, all that stuff, I made a decision to quit high school. I'm done. I had like three months left. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to quit. And my parents, like, they, like, of course, they were devastated. Um, again, especially my dad. Um, but um, what could they do? Like, now I can make my own decisions. And so I went to the people that I needed to go to and said, I'm quitting. I'm dropping out. This is it. And, um, and then I told, informed my parents that uh, in that in the summer, I'd be moving uh, to California by myself. Um, so for me at that time, California was the edge of the earth, right? And so uh, I was getting as far away from po- uh, as possible from my life and people that I knew. Um, and so I was really struggling. And um, I got a job to, to pay for a really bad studio apartment that was in a neighborhood that was very opposite of where I grew up. Um, I had to have five keys to just get into my studio apartment. No windows, bullet holes in like the thing. Um, there was a, a homosexual couple above me that had AIDS and a drug dealer uh, below me that had a hair shop. That's, and I lived in between. Me, can you, I mean, this guy, I mean, come on. <laughs> it's, all right? it's bad. Um, <laughs> it was bad. All right? uh, I learned a lot, I can tell you that. Um, but I struggled a lot just trying to find myself. I rolled in community college as well because I didn't know what to do. Um, and um, one day, though, it was fall 2005. Um, it had been just a, just a tough, just tough weekend. And I woke up, fall, if you're familiar with the Bay Area, pretty cold there in the morning um, and the evenings. And so I was looking for a hoodie. And, but I was living like a bachelor uh, at that time as well. So um, all my stuff is in storage. Right? <laughs> I had a lot of stuff stored away. And so uh, I went to my closet and I pulled out um, a black hoodie, a university hoodie. And um, in, the, in the front fold there, you know, the hoodies with the front fold there, um, my mom uh, had actually snuck a pocket NIV, a blue NIV Bible. In my, in my hoodie. Um, she knew if she, like, gave it to me, 
uh, I wouldn't take it because I grew up in the church and all that, and I was done. I was done with God, religion, all that stuff. Uh, I just didn't see it like working uh, for me. And, and so it, it hits the ground. And, and I remember the first, my first instinct was like, Mom, you know, like, ah, you know, how could you? You deceived me, you know. Um, <laughs> but very quickly it turned to um, a glimmer of hope. Odd. Um, and so, not knowing a whole lot, I, I, um, I picked it up. I walked over to my blue Ikea couch um, where I could cook and sleep at the same time. <laughs> I had that kind of apartment. And, um, and I just did what I only knew to do. Um, I said, okay, God, if you're real, prove it. Like that. That's what I did. And uh, by his sovereignty uh, and his grace, um, I opened up to Matthew chapter 6. And if you're familiar with Matthew chapter 6, especially the back half of it, it's all about uh, how a father provides, how a father cares. Um, And he says, um, the bottom line there is that if you seek my kingdom first above all things, that you have nothing to be anxious about could be anxious for nothing. And I remember, um, I remember just thinking, saying, like, um, like, God's at the ceiling, right? So I just look up and, God, if this is true, like, if this is true, um, I need you to take away my anxious heart. Uh, I need you to re- remove these deep sadness and depression in me. And I told him, if if you do that for me, I promise that I'll, I'll follow you. I promise that I'll serve you. Um, and you know what he did? I took a nap. And, uh, and when I woke up, he answered. Uh, in that moment, uh, it was so vivid, so strong, that today, even these many years later, I cannot forget. I was just showered with this overwhelming amount of peace and joy. And I knew that he was speaking to me and saying, I've answered you. Just get up and follow me. And so um, I took all the stuff uh, in my apartment, pills, alcohol, things like that. And just in that moment, I just flushed it all down the toilet. I knew he'd healed me. Um, He saved me. He had given me this peace that surpasses all understanding. And what's amazing is that um, I'm here today, a person who wanted nothing to do with God 15 years ago. And now I'm here with you, telling you, pleading with you, put God's word in your heart. Let it change your life. Let it transform you, because it will, and it can. That if we want this gathering to be all that God wants it to be, and I know so many of you, very personally, I know you want this. If we want this gathering to be what God wants it to be, we need to be people who are devoted, devoted to this habit of grace. People who are 
devoted to God's word. People who treasure God's word. People who believe that this word, this word alone, it will transform your life and can transform the lives of people around you. Why? For his glory and for our joy. Will you pray with me?